As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I am excited for this episode because we had originally planned for this to be 100% a preview of the upcoming USMNT camp, the current USMNT camp, as well as their upcoming friendlies versus Japan and Saudi Arabia. It's still going to be about 70% that and then 30% USMNT therapy because I have concerns. Here with me to help either ratchet up or tone down that anxiety are two licensed soccer psychologists. They're not really, but I'm going with that for the intro. Dr. Graham Ruthven, how are you today? I'm good. Come in and lie across my couch and we'll see where this goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you team anxiety or team calm as you look at the state of the USMNT and I contemplate being invited to lay down <laughs> on your couch? Well, I mean, my brand is team anxiety and uh, looking at this USMNT <laughs> roster right now, uh, not helping that, that current state of mind, I have to admit. All right. So that's, uh, that's another vote for Team Anxiety. Joining us is Dr. Joseph Lowry. Hello, Joe. Same question to you. Hey, Taylor. Uh, I'm not going to answer your question. Instead, I'm just going to say, remember my carbonite thing? Yeah. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you so are right, you, Joe. <laughs> so you're saying we needed more carbonite? I mean, I think that's the obvious answer here, right? We just put everyone in carbonite. Taylor, you're welcome to hop in carbonite as well, and we can just unfreeze you Han Solo style on November 20th if that would be best for you. What do you think? I don't know. I think I do I do better like panicking in the moment and, and trying to adjust to it rapidly as opposed okay. to the kind of slow, oh, no, he's hurt too, and he's hurt. I think maybe all at once would be good. It might overload the circuits, but I, I, I like it. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit concerned about somebody like Pulisic, who seems to have been frozen in carbonite and then also thrown into a Sarlacc pit. Uh, the, the double Star Wars reference for, for you nerds <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, so Joe, you, you're still advocating. You think carbonite is the way to go. I mean, I think so. There's also a chance it would have prevented Christian Pulisic from writing this book that apparently he's writing. So what, what? I, I really don't see any downsides here, to be honest. We need to know more about this. Okay, so the book is apparently called Christian Pulisic, My Journey So Far. This is, uh, this, I'm not kidding. This is real. I Actually, have so many jokes Apparently, apparently so this became a real thing. Like, like news of this was announced back over the summer, and we all just totally missed it. And now there's an excerpt from this book that's been running oh, across oh the no. internet today with Pulisic, oh, talking, with Pulisic talking about how Tuchel promised him minutes in the yes. Champions League. Then apparently, according to Pulisic, sort of went back on that and played Kai Havertz instead. And so now Pulisic has decided that this is the time to air some of his grievance. I, I have no idea what's going oh, on. No. But if there's ever been a case for Carbonite to prevent other unfortunate <laughs> actions, this Christian Pulisic thing would have been the move months ago. I, I saw that quote going around about Tuchel and him promising that that Real Madrid. It was Real Madrid in yeah. the Champions League, right? Yep. Second leg. I just thought that was that came from uh, like a presser in Germany oh, no. in preparation. Oh, I did no, not realize that it's come from a book. I, I First, guess we know what he's been doing with his time on the Chelsea bench now. I tweeted this, but Christian Pulisic knows exactly what we need, right? First, the GQ spread. Of course, we needed that, right? That was obvious. Some, <laughs> some real gold in there. Now the book at the at just the right time where I thought I might actually explode. 
if I have to talk about the USMNT's number nine situation or hear other folks talking about it anymore. Now we don't have to, right? Because we can just pivot to book talk all the time. Thank you, Christian Pulisic. Thank you. I mean, like... We're going to have to read this and review it. Oh, 100%. First of all, yes. Second of all, I would have loved it if it were like a children's book. That would have made me very (laughs) happy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whoever has the copyright on that one, whoever will be doing the publishing, we would love three to four copies. Uh, I'm not sure if Ryan is going to be... Ryan's going to be in. Ryan is definitely going to be in. He's here here for the dirt. Uh, I can't imagine future managers are going to love... Playing and employing and interacting with a player who has uh, trashed a former manager in a book and has proven a propensity to write. Joe, concerns about that? Um, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say he's trashing Thomas Tuchel, but I I don't think it's the best look. I mean, the timing (laughs) is a lot better now that Tuchel no longer works at Chelsea than if it was him still working at Chelsea. I don't know when the published date was set, if that was always going to be set. I believe October 18th is the published date, so go ahead and pre-order that one, folks. But it's not not the best best look this feels like let me back up there's a reason why soccer players and other athletes write books when their careers are over right I think that (laughs) is it's not like no one's thought to write a book during their professional career it's that people have thought about it and then been reminded that it's not always the best idea either way to be clear I'm here for it and would love to read this book when it's on the shelves at Ross for 10 bucks Graham you still working on that TSS tell-all but uh I think you got you got you got an advance for that right yeah, I mean, the first draft is done, and I think actually it should be out before the World Cup as well. So uh, we're going head-to-head in the bestseller with uh, Christian Pulisic. Which one do you think is going to be more of a surprise? That Joe is actually just a floating brain in a jar? Or that Ryan <laughs> Bailey is secretly from Charlotte and has just been pretending to be English and is slowly transitioning to his true Charlotte persona? Uh, we, we already know that Ryan's not really English. The, the accent has been slipping for years. So I, I would say... Uh, <laughs> Joe being a, a a brain in a jar, slightly more yeah. surprising because at this point I just assume Joe is is like in the ether, isn't doesn't actually have a physical being. He's kind of like in the matrix. Uh, well, Matrix Joe, we are seven minutes into this episode. Sure. We have yet to talk about a single thing that was yeah. planned. Uh, let's get to that. Let's talk about the U.S. roster later on. We're going to be looking at Japan and Saudi Arabia in some more detail. For now, though, we have some updates. Joe, how are we feeling? So I'm going to run through the updates. We're not feeling great, I think. There's been a lot of uh, some not ideal moves that have had to happen with this squad. So first of all, Yunus Musa is dealing with a little bit of a groin injury, so he is not going to join up with the U.S. in Cologne. So it's Johnny Cardoso who is in for Musa instead. That's one change. There's two other changes as well. Chris Richards and Cameron Carter-Vickers are both out with injuries. Neither injury, from what I've seen, looks long-term. But both will not be in this camp. Instead, Greg Berhalter called up Eric Palmer-Brown and Mark McKenzie in place of those two players. So there's some interesting stuff here, right? We get a a much clearer idea of Greg Berhalter's depth chart in some of these spots, at least at center back. Center mid, there there might be some qualifications there that maybe we'll talk about later. But in terms of the center back pool, it tells us that Tim Ream and James Sands really are are not going to be at the World Cup. We already pretty much knew that, but now it seems to me that that's basically confirmed, barring even more injuries. But really... This is, this is the kind of stuff that Greg Berhalter's been talking about, right? Avi Creditor had a really good piece for Sports Illustrated where he cited this quote from Berhalter saying, a lot can change, right? That was Berhalter's quote when talking about this squad. A lot can change between now and the World Cup. And then this is the paragraph that stood out to me. And so it has, Creditor says. In the time since Berhalter made those comments last Wednesday, three of his initial 26 choices for the last U.S. camp, Musa, Richards, and CCV, have withdrawn with fresh injuries. Another handful wasn't available to be called on in the first place due to either lingering or recent injuries, such as what resembles normal for the U.S. men's national team. And that's true, right? That is 100% true. This is the latest iteration of injuries affecting the U.S. That was a theme throughout World Cup qualifying. And at this rate, it's going to be a theme at the World Cup, too. Yeah. With with these injury call-offs, it's kind of dawned on me that we might see more late call-offs for this World Cup than any other World Cup. In fact, I'd go further than that. We almost certainly will, because a usual World Cup has about three weeks at least between the end of the, the club season, at least in Europe, and the start of the tournament. This time, it's seven days. So players with knocks who ordinarily would be able to shake them off before a World Cup, and you see that all the time. A player has got a knock, but they're going to be fit by the time the World Cup starts. There's going to be a week for players to get fit between the season and the start of the work, this World Cup. So, for instance, CCV, everything I read in the Scottish press suggests that he doesn't have a serious injury and Celtic don't expect him to be out for long. But let's just say he's out for two weeks, which isn't a serious injury. If, the, if this was the week before the World Cup, he'd missed two group stage games, at least, 
So then you've got a decision of, well, do you take him? And I expect that Berhalter will have a few decisions like that before the tournament. And, and that makes me very, very nervous. It's going to be, it's going to be more like a, a normal international window where knocks are a bigger deal rather than a normal summer tournament where knocks doesn't mean that a player isn't included in the squad. If I'm looking looking for possible positives here, Graham, could it also be that with the World Cup looming, some clubs are like, look, you're going to have this sort of very intense competition. You've had an intense start to the season. Don't go away on an injury and try to play two international games. Like, get your rest now. Come back, like, stay with the club. Uh, get that fitness. Get some more games in, and then you'll be fresher for the World Cup. Could you see that being a possibility? In some cases, yes, but in other cases, I think clubs just look out for themselves and don't really have that consideration. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a much better point. That, I guess, I guess that would really depend on the conversations that Berhalter's having with the individual players. For example, we don't really know. I would suggest that if if CCV and Richards are fit enough for the World Cup, they're still going to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is far from ideal that the, the the area of the squad I would say where Berhalter would want to do the most road testing. I used that term last week, and I'll use it again. Now two of the three primary options that he had to test as a centre-back alongside Zimmerman won't be in this camp. And I said last week, what you want out of this camp is uh, is conclusions, is solid conclusions. And it doesn't really matter what happens now, how well EPB or Mark McKenzie or even Aaron Long, it doesn't really matter how well they do in this camp. There is going to be a question mark over this position when that first game of the World Cup kicks off. Joe, I'm assuming you would agree that uh, it's probably Walker Zimmerman and then one of the three of Long, CCV, or Richards. So as as Graham suggested, no CCV, no Richards. Uh, maybe there will still be some looming questions, but it do- also seems to me like this is maybe Aaron Long's camp to lose. 100%. Aaron Long is the biggest winner, hands down, from the time when the roster dropped to today, basically. And I expect that he will start at least one, if not both, of these games that the U.S. has against Japan on Friday and Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. He already, I already would not have been surprised if Long started at least one of those games, even over Chris Richards. We know that Greg Berhalter likes Aaron Long. He started this very first game back in January of 2019. He's been a fixture for Greg Berhalter from day one, except for the times when when Aaron Long's been dealing with injuries. But even still, it's been very clear that Aaron Long is a Greg Berhalter guy. And we're going to see that. I mean, now he has less less top-tier competition, at least, to deal with. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we come out of this camp. Graham, I think you're right. There's going to be question marks around the other center back spot outside of Walker Zimmerman, no matter what. But I would be very surprised at this point if Aaron Long isn't the guy for Greg Berhalter on day one against Wales. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but Richards needed to come in and show something, and, and that's not going to happen at this point. So I would be surprised if Berhalter doesn't go with Aaron Long. Things can change. Yeah, Aaron Long could deal with an injury, and that sets us back even further in this discussion. But Aaron Long is a, is a massive winner, Taylor, to your question and, and maybe to the point you were getting us to. He's a huge winner in all of this. So if we're looking at like things we can learn, things we can take away from this camp, one of the big questions would be, uh, should Aaron Long start for the U.S.? Did he solidify or weaken his argument? That fair to say? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, sweet. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking for things to keep an eye on as we go through. Uh, what about in midfield, Graham? Uh, uh, Joe mentioned Johnny Cardoso coming in. Yunus yeah. Musa not there. Uh, Joe is... Uh, I can't see Joe. We're just recording audio. I'm assuming uh, in like permanent mourning. I don't know if there's a black armband. <laughs> I don't know if there's a veil on the sentient brain, but I know he is in mourning for Yunus Musa, so I'll let him stay in that mood. And Graham, I'll just ask you about Johnny coming in. Uh, well, the UK, the UK has been in mourning for what seems like the past month. So, Joe, join join the club. You you can uh, just follow our lead. Um, yeah, it's it is. This isn't a disaster like the centre back situation mm-hmm. is. Assuming that Musa is back in time for the World Cup, and again, that that's dependent on how serious this injury is. I've been looking for reports, reading between the lines. It seems like it's not a serious injury. Um, so that's good news, I guess. But it is annoying because we spoke last week about how Berhalter might want to test out the the deeper double pivot tactical tweak that he tried in in, in June. But now with Weston McKenney back in the fold, because obviously McKenney was was injured at that time, and and now he won't be able to do that. And Cardoso, he has a he's an interesting call up, right? Because I'm I'm not totally sure what to make of it. Because last week we spoke about how unlikely it was that Berhalter would use someone in this cycle for the first time, or at least for the first time in a while. Obviously, Cardoso has been involved before, but this close to a World Cup, there might not be a a wild card 
that had to be a factor in Brandon Vazquez not being called up. But Cardoso's now been given this opportunity and I, I just don't know if that's because Berhalter is pretty confident of his midfield options and feels he doesn't really need to test out too much or if this is a genuine shot at the World Cup roster for Cardoso. And it also says interesting things about the depth chart because it seems that, and look, I know there's differences between these players, but if you'd said to me Musa is going to come out of this squad with an injury... I would have said Georgi Mihalovic or yep. even Eric Williamson. And again, I know that, that, that this is, they're not like-for-like players and you could argue, argue that Cardoso with his um, with his skill set and his versatility, versatility he, can, he can play in, in, as a midfield anchor, he can play on the right of a midfield three. So he's maybe a closer fit for someone like Yunus Musa. But I do wonder what Georgi Mihalovic and what, what Eric Williamson are thinking. Yeah seeing Cardoso come into this squad for Yunus Musa. It's a confusing one. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, so the the one detail, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, my theory on why Johnny Cardoso was brought in ahead of Eric Williamson and George Mihalovic, well, I, I guess there's two parts of this. The first potential theory is that Baralter just rates Cardoso more than those players. Also, it's Johnny Cardoso's birthday. Happy birthday, Johnny Cardoso. Anyway, that's that's one theory here. The other theory... Maybe that's why he's here. Maybe. maybe it's it's like, a birthday present. Call the birthday boy <laughs> in. Call up. You yeah. never know. You it never know. It brings the squad together. You serve him cake. There's ice cream. I'm yeah. making them teenagers again. Let's keep it moving. I mean, that sounds pretty good. I'm not going to lie. All that <laughs> stuff you said sounds good. The other it's like theory... like cheese where you get a sticker. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The other theory is that Baralter said, and this is going to happen, that there's going to be a camp for MLS USMNT eligible players in October. And and two of the players that we mentioned as being able to fill that spot, that midfield spot, are George Mihailovic and Eric Williamson. Johnny Cardoso is not going to have that same access to the camp. And that, that camp is happening, the MLS camp, by the way, just in, case fo- just in case folks don't know, because the MLS regular season ends on October 9th. That's decision day. And then playoffs sort of happen between there and I believe November 5th is MLS Cup. Teams are going to drop, right? Teams are going to drop team by team, week by week. So there's going to be a bunch of time between when the MLS season ends, too much time between when that season ends and when the U.S.'s first game of the World Cup is. So it's designed to keep players like Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long fresh, and also get a chance to look at other players. I would be surprised if Brandon Vasquez wasn't in that camp. I would be surprised if Eric Williamson wasn't in that camp. George Mihailovic, I don't know for sure, because he also has this whole transfer situation going on where he's going over to the Eredivisie. I don't know what the timing of that's going to be, but if Baralter wants to see him and Georgie wants to push his way into the World Cup squad, I'd be surprised if he wasn't there too. So that's why I think Cardoso's here. Baralter rates him. He mentioned him in his press conference unprompted at the beginning, I believe, Taylor. And then you you add that to the fact that MLS players will have this extra chance to play in front of Baralter. And I I actually do see some of the reasoning and logic behind bringing Johnny Cardoso in, even over players that I think are probably a little bit better. So so is he in play for a World Cup spot, do you think? Or is is this... I mean, we, we've seen, Graham, from these injuries. I think Baralter is spot on. I think he has his preferences, and he has his 26-man squad that he would prefer to bring if everyone's healthy. But the last week or the last few days have given us a real glimpse into what the World Cup could be like, where basically, yeah, all the way down to 35, 36, 40, all of these players, depending on where the injuries hit, are in play for the World Cup. I want to talk some more about that MLS camp. I want to talk some more about some of these uh, position battles. And then I want to look ahead to our opponents. But right now, I want to take a quick break. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're continuing to discuss some of the roster changes. Joe, you mentioned it. Uh, Berhalter did mention uh, Johnny playing every single week. Uh, He did that unprompted when talking about the midfield. He mentioned Eric Williamson in there getting back to form, and he's one I know you said will probably be in that MLS camp. 
Uh, Berhalter also mentioned McKenzie nailing down a starting spot. He did mention James Sands at Rangers, uh, who is not in this one. Same thing for Tim Ream. And then he closed out with the defenders by talking about Eric Palmer Brown playing every week. No mention of John Brooks there. Not that big of a surprise. <laughs> but he did mention Matt Miazga, Joe. Is that a player who you think maybe they're leaving off now to include in that MLS roster? Or do you think we can kind of... Say with confidence that Miazga is not in that top six to seven players who are in the pool for center backs. I would wager that Miazga is is closer to the bottom of that depth chart gotcha. than than some of the other players that we've talked about who didn't make the cut for this even after the injuries. I mean, I think you can infer that from Berhalter's recent call-ups. It's Eric Palmer-Brown who comes in back in March of World Cup qualifying. There's other center backs that I think Berhalter rates above Miazga. We could see him in that MLS camp in October. I don't know what that roster is going to look like, but I don't know that I'd put Miazga in the same category as Williamson or Mihailovic for, for not making the cut for this particular squad. And with that, the announcement of that camp, Joe, are you feeling better about some of the players that weren't called in, uh, like maybe Mihailovic, but more specifically like Brandon Vasquez? Uh, a little bit better. I, I think it's really hard to say what's going to come out of that camp. We don't have many details. We don't know. Are they going to be playing games? Are they just going to be training? That's where I the don't... carbonite comes in, I think. <laughs> yeah. <camp>. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know how they bring out the bottles for training? Sure. It'll be like, uh, what's this This bottle? Is it water or energy drink? No, that's carbonite. What's this one? That's also carbonite. Just drink that's, it, Walker. That's... Just drink yeah. it, all right? Um, Dale, but I, defrost I really, them early because you can wake up with space blindness, carbonite blindness. I forget what yeah, it gives you temporarily. So on solo space days. blindness, give a absolutely. That's exactly how George Lucas drew it up. I don't. I really don't know the answer to your question, Taylor. I don't know what the camp's going to look like. Yeah. I'm curious to find out and for us to get more details. At this point, it feels like Brandon Vasquez is a major long shot for the World Cup. But again, we're one or two injuries away from having this discussion all over again in just a, a different way with different names. So. Similar, maybe not quite similar to Aaron Long, but it feels like Johnny Cardoso is one, Joe, who could potentially, like, I think anybody being called in to this camp, that means that they're on Berhalter's radar such that if there's an emergency, if a a player or two are injured, this guy then steps in. Do you feel like we need to see him, though, perform above what we expect? Like, is is an okay performance enough to, to sort of continue to justify his selection? Or do you think he needs to stand out in a positive way? Ideally, he stands out in a positive way in whatever few minutes he gets. I... And, and maybe we'll run through our lineups for these games coming up later. I don't. Let me, have... let me put it this way. Sorry, I think I I made that too easy. I think uh, put put maybe more simply. Like, is this one where if he doesn't stand out noticeably, we won't ever see him again uh, this round at least? Th- that seems likely. I think okay. if Cardoso doesn't cool. shine, his road to Qatar gets a lot harder. We'll put it gotcha. that way. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Well, I feel a little bit better because I think what we're ending up talking about is. Flushing out the depth chart, maybe figuring out roster spots up to thirty or so, yeah. and if things and just do gloss go over the defense because that defense is making me uh, increasingly increasingly worried. I have to say, but the midfield looks good. That was not convincing. Let's stay with the defense then. This doesn't just have to be soccer therapy for me. It can also be football therapy for Graham. Uh, Graham, what is it about the defense aside from some of the center back issues we've discussed? And then Joe, I'm going to turn it to you to theoretically make yeah. Graham feel better. It's just a lot of change and uncertainty. So I think if you go back to the latter stages of the the qualifiers, the US looked pretty set. And at the back, I thought it it looked like a strong part of the pitch for the team. But if the back five that was settled upon at the end of qualifiers was Stefan and Goals, Dest, Zimmerman, and then the two Robinsons, you've now got... Stefan out of the squad, and it seems like he has been left at the squad because at the weekend he he plays for, for Middlesbrough, actually keeps a, a clean sheet against Rotherham. So he's out of the squad. It seems like Turner is going to be the, the number one goalkeeper. And that in itself, is, is that in isolation doesn't give me much concern because we know Matt Turner can do that job. But nonetheless, it's change. It's something new. Dest is at a different club and he's still settling in there. So I, I've got questions. I know Joe wants to put everyone in carbonite, but I have, I have questions about how sharp he is. Zimmerman is the exception. He's fine. But then Miles Robinson's not going to play. And Jedi, Jedi Robinson is not injured right now. So out of that, he's injured right now. So out of that back five that you had, two are in place at the, this camp at the moment. And the guys who could be the replacement at centre-back for Miles Robinson, Richardson and CCV, who for me are, I know Berhalter's got his whole, uh, you know, Aaron Long fascination. But for me, those are the two best contenders for that place they're injured as well at the moment so it's just a lot when you add it all together I think one or two of these things 
would be fine and you can absorb it when but when you look at that unit of five and how many question marks there are over different players in different positions it's it's just it, it's filling me with more and more worry i have to admit joe uh, any positives or shall we just focus on johnny's birthday cake as being the, the major resounding <laughs> positive from this camp i'm hoping for like a, a chocolate cake with chocolate yeah. frosting Ooh, i i don't double I, chocolate that's that's i'm also really hungry right now anyway so maybe that's why the whole birthday cake thing sounds so good i grandma I, i'm not gonna make you feel better because it's not it's not good back to you taylor <laughs> so are there any other specific things uh as we go that you all will be keeping an eye out for uh, like with these updates or in relation to these updates yeah yeah i've got one so one is with musa in particular Mm -hmm. the big tactical change i thought that we saw back in june against morocco we saw some other moments in that june window friendlies and nations league games was Yunus Musa dropping deeper, right, to form almost a double pivot with Tyler Adams. You had a back three at times, you had a back four at other times, depending on what that spacing was looking like. But Musa dropping deeper was a, was a real theme of the June window. Now he's not here. Are we going to see that at all? Are we going to see Baralter go back to the single pivot? I, I don't know what the midfield orientation is going to look like, but I'm curious to see what Baralter brings out and puts out on the field. Or, you know, maybe we'll see a one like-for-like replacement for Musa. And maybe McKinney does that job. Or maybe Luca De La Torre does that job. Or maybe Johnny Cardoso does that job. There's options here. Kawan Acosta could do something similar as well. I don't think any of those players would do it at Musa's level. And I certainly think there's a big drop-off from McKinney, De La Torre, and Musa to, to anybody else that's in the squad who could do that job. But the midfield alignment and spacing... I think is going to be really interesting to watch because it helped the U.S. build. It helps the U.S. build so much when Musa drops a little bit deeper, and I really like that look. Now, are we going to see that look at all? Are we going to see it look a little different? Is someone else going to do the job? That's one thing I'm looking for in these couple of games. And Graham, any other things for you aside from uh, some number nine to score like a triple hat trick and then we feel very good about the number nine spot? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That okay. would be nice if, okay. if a striker could, a could just score trick. goals yep. and uh, we could all stop talking about that. The midfield for me is is also where I, where I, would, I would focus. Like, I don't know, where are we going to see Brent, uh, Brendan Aronson in that central midfield unit? He probably doesn't play as a deeper as part of the double pivot that Joe's talking about there, but if McKenney's dropping deeper to play as the double pivot, is, is Aronson further forward? Or do we see Gio Reyna in there? I don't know if any if anyone has clocked this, but whoever has the admin for the USMNT Twitter account is posting a lot of Gio Reyna pictures and content almost to be to remind everyone that he's uh he's 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 back involved. So where I have questions over where we want Reyna to be used in these two matches, as we've spoken about before. We don't want him to play 180 minutes and to be run into the ground, given where he is in his recovery. But in the, the minutes he does get, is he going to be in the right wing? Is he going to be in the middle? Is he going to be as kind of a like a hybrid number eight, number 10? Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see how he is reintegrated into this group because it's been a while. It's been a while since he's been really involved in this team. Graham, I, I do like one of my longstanding theories is that U.S. soccer press does sort of reveal little details here, here and there uh, in the lead up to games. When you start to get photos of a random player every now and then, it makes you think, ah, maybe that guy's going to start. Is there any chance that with Gio Reyna, we saw him like standing in the center circle pointing at where he was going to be playing? Is that <laughs> what they're promoting or is it more so just uh, photos of his darling face? It's just mainly photos of his darling face, okay. but I'm, I'm now going to go back and look for any <laughs> hidden messages. See? Yeah, um, I heard. Yeah, I so heard if I, you zoom in on one of the Gio Reyna pictures, I don't know which one. It says I'm going to play as a number eight on his left cleat. So I don't know. I see. haven't confirmed that yet, but we should check that out just to be sure. That's just good work by you two. That's just yeah. good work by you two. The other thing I noticed from the, the Twitter pictures is since when has Josh Sargent been so tall? I didn't know that he was that tall. He said I don't know whether effect. he was just. I don't know whether he was just standing next to Gio Reyna, but uh, yeah, he is. He's taller than I thought he was. How, how tall are we talking? Uh, so I was Googling how tall he was and you've beaten me to, I haven't got the answer yet, but he is... 6'8", yeah, th- final answer. <laughs> Joe, Joe always goes 6'8", six, six, and I like it. <laughs> he's 1 meter 85, which I don't know what that is in feet, but... Uh, no one does. Seems- While Graham does some metric conversions, uh, Joe, I'm going to come to you to start us off talking about Japan, because (laughs) I think my other 
reason for anxiety. Uh, both of these opponents are are quality. They're both going to the World Cup, obviously. Uh, but Japan, uh, like immediately after re- like reading some of the updates, learning about the roster changes, and then watching Japan play, uh, I am nervous because they are good. Yes, they are. They're really good and really fun to watch. I am. I am not nervous for these games because they don't they right, don't really friendly. matter. Mm-hmm. But I am okay. I am nervous because they are good enough that they will not get the. They're good enough, but they won't get the coverage that they deserve. Right. So it will be like wait, we're losing to Japan. To Japan. What is yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah, this yeah. team? Yes. And then it's going to be. <laughs> I'm anticipating the reaction from people who haven't watched Japan well, and realize not- that they are quite good. That's not what Twitter's like. Nothing no, at no. all like that. <laughs> you're right, you're right. It's just civility and calm takes. Let's let's do our part then to let people know Japan's a good team. They're a yeah. really good team. They're 24th in the FIFA rankings, grain of salt there. The U.S. is 14th, so that gives you some idea. They're 29th in the ELO ratings, and the U.S. is 23rd. So that gives you this this picture that Japan is a, is a strong team capable of doing some real damage. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do some damage at the World Cup. Now, they have a hard group. But still, this is a this is a really strong team with good players. So I want to start at the individual level, and then I'll zoom out to look at the, the tactical approach and maybe give folks some things to expect. So players playing in the Bundesliga, in Ligue 1, in Spain, in Belgium, I mean, they have quality all over the field. So Minamino is a, is a player that a lot of folks are going to know from playing at Liverpool for a while. He now plays with Monaco. He is certainly a player to watch in the front line. He can also pinch back a little bit and play as a number eight. Rizzo Don uh, plays for Freiburg in the Bundesliga, had played at PSV before in the Eredivisie. Takafuso Kubo, who's a name that longtime TSS mm-hmm. listeners will know very, He's very good. well for Sociedad. Yeah, Graham, I'm sure, watches him more than the rest of us do, but very technical attacker. Um, again, can, can play in midfield, can play in the forward line. Junya Ito. The, the list goes on and on. They have a couple of Stuttgart players. Wataru Endo, who plays as a defensive midfielder. Ito, who's a defender for Stuttgart, sort of an all-action, can play central, can play a little wider in the back line. Really good ball progressor. These are legit talents that would have a part, a lot of them, in this U.S. squad. There is not a massive gap. I, I do think the U.S. is the more talented team between these two groups, but there is not a massive gulf in quality. So that, that's my perception. If anyone disagrees, they're welcome, welcome to add that. The only other thing I'll say quickly is just on the style. They like to have the ball. Four, we're talking 4-3-3. Three, three. They're not totally married to possession, Japan, but they do like to keep it. They have no issue knocking the ball around, even against really good teams like Brazil, who they played back in June and lost 1-0. They didn't create a ton in that game, but they were brave. They were bold on the ball. They're trying to build. They're trying to play. They'll spread the field in possession. They're pretty calm on the ball. Japan can play through pressure using a lot of the technical players that I mentioned, but it's not just detailed possession play. I think that's a very stereotypical observation to make about Japan. It happens to be true about this team. They're capable in possession. They are technical, but the other part is they're athletic, right? I mentioned Minamino, who I think is a good microcosm of this team, He's playing for Jurgen Klopp. He's playing for one of the most aggressive, intense, forward-thinking, pressing coaches that soccer's ever seen. They have players that are going to punish you in transition. They can get in behind. They can attack in those moments of turnovers. Japan's dangerous, in my mind, in pretty much every phase of play. They're they're dangerous. Like I said before, I want to make that very, very clear. There's space to exploit in particular moments. They have weaknesses. But, man, this is going to be a really good test for the U.S. on Friday. Yeah. They have a lot of talented players, and I would also point to the the little group of Celtic players that are in this Japanese national team as well. I don't know if all three are going to start, but it seems like Kyogo is a good a good bet to to feature at some point, and he is a very mobile forward who knows how to finish. For me, he's he's Celtic's best player. He's not actually shown that in the Champions League this season so far due to injury, but he kind of is a he embodies a lot of what this Japanese team and this and this crop of Japanese players what they're all about as you say Joe very technical but also very athletic we know that Pascal at Celtic he plays a high intensity game and that's kind of why he has turned to the the Japanese market and I want to see how the US handles an attack like Japan's because Berhalter likes to play with this high line and sometimes that is a risk and, and Japan have the players to get in behind and they, ha- they also have the players who can attack the half spaces and drop deep and pull defenders out of position and the US are going to be, they're going to have to be good out of possession because I think Japan are going to be very quick on the ball. They're going to create overloads and passing triangles and it's going to be a very um, technical test. And I'm pretty confident that the US can handle a physical test in defence because obviously we've seen that in CONCACAF qualifying. But I worry that maybe some of the quick interchange play and also the intensity from Japan off the ball, it has the potential to maybe make that US defence 
if especially if it's they, they don't really know each other that well and there's not the chemistry there because of all the changes it has the potential to make the us and defense look a little bit cumbersome so that that's something that i am going to be keeping an eye on because there's a lot to like about this japanese team do we have a metric conversion for Josh Sargent? I have a, I have a Google result in front of me, but Graham, I want to make sure it corresponds with what you've got. So apparently he is just short of six foot one. So he's like ah. six foot six foot and a half, which is taller than I thought he was. I would have put him as under six foot, but yeah, he's taller. Maybe it's the maybe it's the hair that gives him that extra two or three inches. That's the way to do it. You build that wall of hair, you get some height. That's what I need to do. I need to go back to having the, the curly hair that just goes do. straight up. That the people well need that, me. Taylor. They need it. <laughs> uh, Joe, what do you think we can learn about the United States from this game against Japan? Because I think I agree with everything you all have said. I was watching them in the, I believe it was the East Asian uh, Cup, which you cannot find on FATMA, but uh, I did find on Y Scout. And they, I watched them sort of tear apart uh, South Korea in a 3 0 win. And that was with. Without any of the players you all have mentioned, it was domestic players, I'm guessing, to get reps ahead of uh, the World Cup, probably. But that was a team that I, I'm, I'm also choosing to believe that like played a similar style in a similar way to the way that the players will see against the United States. But for their first goal against Korea, it's at least... 20 or so passes in the lead up to the goal. Uh, it features a lot of quick passing, then a direct ball into the channel, but that is like kind of into feet at the same time. And then everybody transitions rapidly into attack. Then there's a bunch more passes. Then there's a cutback. Then there's a dummy that leads to the shot that leads to the goal. Um, they feel like they're going to be a very good team, especially in testing like the United States. It was a lovely, lovely it goal. Sound, it sounds like one I'm of those so goals. That, it sounds like one of those goals in a soccer movie that's just too good. You know, like there's pass, an overhead pass, kick, pass, and then yeah, there's yeah. a volley, and then it's a chest, and then you know. <laughs> See, so maybe that's it. Maybe they're just this is like uh, uh, propaganda, and they're just trying to make me intimidated <laughs> early by showing me the greatest goal ever. Uh, but Joe, it feels to me like this is a, a game that can help show how the United States does with teams that can sort of transition rapidly into attack, but then also be uh, pretty re- resolute defensively. I think this game is going to test the U.S. in pretty much every phase. So Graham Graham mentioned the defense. I think that's a great thing. The spotlight, how the U.S. adapts, how they press. That was a a thing back in June, right against Morocco and and Uruguay, both those two friendlies, where the U.S. did press. They were aggressive, and that's very much become the thing that Greg Berhalter prioritizes defensively. But there were gaps. There were gaps in those games that good teams like Morocco and Uruguay exploited at times. You know, it didn't turn ugly for the U.S., but there were some moments there where the press needed to be tightened up. Now we'll get a good look at, at whether or not it was, right? That's going to be a feature of this game against Japan, and I even think against Saudi Arabia as well, though we'll talk more about that in a, in a minute or two. But seeing how well the U.S. can contain Japan's possession play, where they leave space, how they cover ground, how they shift as a unit, what the press looks like, I think is going to be fascinating. And so we'll learn that about the U.S. We'll also learn about their ability to adapt and and play against a team that comes at them a little bit. And we've seen that throughout World Cup qualifying. We've seen that at other moments in the U.S.'s tenure, in, in Greg Berhalter's tenure, excuse me. But it doesn't happen a ton. You know, one of the things that I feel like would have been really valuable for this U.S. team is to have played more really good groups outside of Mexico and, and maybe outside of recent games we've seen from the U.S. back in June, it would be helpful to test the U.S. in possession against teams that are athletic and, and will step forward and will come at you a little bit. Japan's going to do that stuff. They're not afraid to come press. So hey, I just think this is a really good opponent for the U.S. They're not, you know, a top five, top ten team in the world, but they're in that next tier, you know, in, in terms of teams that can cause problems for anyone in the world. We saw that back in that loss to Brazil, that narrow loss to Brazil. So I think, Taylor, to answer your question, they're going to test the U.S. pretty much everywhere, and that's a really good thing for this U.S. team ahead of November. Can I, can I give some encouragement in terms of, we've done a good job, I think, of, of talking up with some justification because they're a good team, but talking up Japan, I do think there will be... Yeah, we have kind of made some, them into Germany, haven't they're we? They're not. Yeah. yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not They're not that good. And I, and, I, and I do think there will be opportunities for the US in quick transition. And I think one area is the fullbacks. So obviously we don't know how much uh, Moriyasu, who is the, the Japanese national team coach, we don't know how much he's going to experiment with his team selection in these games, but... The US could have the opportunity to pin back Japan's fullback. So if it's Nagatomo and Tomiyasu, who listeners will know plays for Arsenal, if they're the fullbacks, and that tends to be the first choice fullbacks for Japan in games that really matter, those are two players who aren't the most natural of attackers. And so there's the, ch- the chance for the US to get their wide forwards high. 
and either use them to isolate those fullbacks one-on-one or the other thing that could be beneficial is even if they're not getting, if it's Pulisic and, and Aronson on the right or Reina or whoever in those wide forward positions, even if they're not getting those one-on-one opportunities, the pinning those fullbacks back is going to create space in the middle for Jesus Ferreira or Weston McKennie or, who, or whoever it is that's making those runs through the middle. So I, equally, I think the US defence is going to get tested in this match. I also think the Japanese attack, is, is sorry, defence, is going to get tested in this match. So, so it has the potential, actually, in terms of friendlies, to be a pretty entertaining encounter. I expect it might be quite open at times. I think that's all really uh, great analysis, Graham. Thank you for that. Say fullback one more time for me. Fullback. And then if I take your court jester and then return him to you, what have I done? I'm lost. What have you done? <laughs> what about if I get if I take David Brent from you and give him back? I've I've taken your fool and I've given him back. Can you say that for me? What, just fullback again? <laughs> there it is. Okay. Just making sure that they were indeed the same thing. Oh, right. So, Graham, Jester, Graham, what back. Okay, there? I'm on. Graham, what happened there is Taylor was making fun of how you talk. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. I wasn't. I wasn't. Bo- I promise. Bo- bottle of water. <laughs> there it is. I, I've, I watched one recently. It was, I think it was, uh, it's like a son and his dad, uh, and he's having him pronounce, uh, Scottish son and Scottish dad pronouncing words, and it makes me very happy, Graham. So, no, your accent is always so- lovely. I tweeted um, about Encanto the other day, and someone someone said in reply that they can't read that word from my Twitter account without <laughs> listening, without hearing how I say it in my accent. So Encanto, there you go. There you go. Well done. Uh, well done to you both uh, for that preview of Japan. We're going to take one more break, and then we're going to take a look at Saudi Arabia. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Let's talk Saudi Arabia. Joe, how will Saudi Arabia most likely play based on what you've seen so far? So they also like the ball. They're not. If Japan isn't Germany, then Saudi Arabia isn't Japan. So we're talking tiers. There's levels to this game. There's levels to this. So all of the players play in Saudi Arabia in this squad. They're coached by Hervé Renard, who's a name that I think a lot of folks will know. He took over the the Saudi Arabia job in 2019 after coaching Morocco at the World Cup. And I thought that Morocco team was one of the most entertaining teams to watch back in 2018. They had a brutal group. But just they play good soccer. And and a lot of the Saudi Arabia stuff is, is good soccer. They like to keep the ball not all the time. But they've had the majority of possession in every game they've played in 2022. So I'm guessing that streak will end between their two friendlies in September. But, I mean, they do like to have some of the ball. They'll extend defensively and press some in the attacking half. They defend at times in in more of a 4-5-1 or a 4-4-2 block. They don't look, to me, crazy dangerous in the attack. And this is where the whole levels thing comes in. They haven't scored more than one goal in a game, in a single game, since October of 2021. So they didn't create all that much in their most recent friendlies. That was against Venezuela and Colombia. But they also didn't get blown out in those games either. They lost 1-0 in both of those matches. So I don't think they have Japan's talent level, but there is quality. And I think Renard does a lot of good stuff as a tactician. They they look to me like one of the, the worst teams at the World Cup. But they are still at the World Cup, and they can still give problems. I I think they're a clear step down from Japan. But a lot of the tactical principles, or at least some of them, are the same from Japan to Saudi Arabia. I I agree with you, Joe. In terms of their their talent, they are a poorer team than, than Japan. But the flip side of that is that they qualified ahead of Japan in their in the third round. The way that Asian qualifying works, there's a sec, a first, second, and third round. Once they get to the third round, it's a group, play ten matches, and they finished ahead of Japan in that group, and they kept a clean sheet in six of their ten qualifying matches. So, 
you're right, they aren't the most exciting team. I think Renard, I was reading about how the Saudi Arabian FA, they chase Renard for quite some time. And basically the theory that they have is that he's a very good tournament manager, as we have seen previously in, in AFCON, where he's obviously had a, a great deal of success. And a, a, a large part of that is down to the fact he brings organization, but there's also an intensity on and off the ball and um, their defensive strength. And and I think there will be periods in this match when Saudi Arabia set up in a low defensive block and that will be a test for the US because that isn't always a scenario that has suited this team in, in the Berhalter cycle. Um, Saudi Arabia, they do like to get their fullbacks forward in a lot of the... <laughs> oh, a lot I, mean, of, okay, I feel like I'm subconscious now. I'm sorry, Grant. <laughs> they do like to get their, uh, their left and right back forward <laughs> a lot in some of the footage that I was watching. And, and they have two of the best attacking fullbacks in, in Asian football right now in the form of uh, Yasser Al-Sharani and Sultan Al-Ganam. I have to admit, two players that I don't know a great deal about, but nonetheless, they seem to be very highly rated. And so they they could be a threat to the US if, if Saudi Arabia can get in behind the US defensive line. But equally, it could present the US with a, with a chance to get in behind them. And they can be attacked in transition. So that is good news for the US, I guess. So if you were guessing, though, Graham, do you feel like this is more of a test for the United States and how to break down an opponent as opposed to how to sort of like weather a transition to attack or something like that? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, friendly matches can be weird and the number of changes and experimentations. I don't know what Herb Renard is, go- is going to do with his his team selection equally. We don't really know what Berhalter is going to do with, with his selection. Um, but from the footage that I've seen and the analysis that I've done and the research I've done and the articles I've, I've read... Yes, it feels like this will be, if Japan is the technical test, and this is where actually, when I when I looked a little bit deeper at the two teams that the US are facing in these friendlies, I quite like the profile of them. So you've got the technical test that the uh, Japan will test the US um, in terms of their, their press resistance, and maybe there will be opportunities in quick transition. And then Saudi Arabia, and I'm generalizing because as I say, their fullbacks might give the US chances in quick transition as well. But generally, they're going to be in a lower defensive block, they're going to, the US is going to have to break them down, whether that's with crosses or little passing triangles or or whatever. So I do kind of I do quite like the the two uh, tests, and also these are two teams that are going to be at the World Cup. So even though Saudi Arabia look, they're not going to win the World Cup. They're not one of the best teams in the world, but they still have a decent talent level, despite the fact that all their players do play in, in Saudi Arabia. Don't let's not totally underestimate them because they have qualified through Asian qualifying, which is um, is is not the worst region in in international football. I'd say. Uh, did any players stand out for either of you from what you watched, uh, either on the defensive side or in the attack? So I think Salam Al Dausari, mm-hmm. he's meant to be one of the best players in Asian football at the moment. Was a key figure for Al Halal last season. They won the AFC Champions League. He's a wide midfielder. He kind of floats around, exploits space where he sees it, and um, I think the US are going to need to be careful that he doesn't get too much space between the lines or he could do a bit of damage I've seen some long range goals for him and some very nice threaded passes through a defence so he's in the attacking sense for Saudi Arabia he's a danger and then uh, Fawad Al-Mualad as well he can be a, a dangerous player on his day he's he's a pacey winger with a, a, a pretty good scoring record an international record I think he's got something like 25 goals and 70 cats which for a wide player is, is, is pretty decent so those are the two attacking players I would say to keep an eye on yeah, Grant, I think you've you've gone for the only two players in double digits when it comes to goals scored for the national team. So yeah, I think uh, keeping an eye on them. Uh, Joe, when you're looking at these two opponents, either Japan or Saudi Arabia, one of the questions uh, we've been asked previously, and I think gets asked a lot about these sort of uh, tune-ups for the World Cup, do you see parallels between these two teams and any of our World Cup opponents, or do you think it's more about preparing for systems or certain passages of play? Yeah, I think probably the latter of those two things. I'm not sure that Japan is a great comparison for any of these teams that the U.S. is going to be facing at the World Cup. I think they're more open. They're willing to take more risks than any of Wales or England or Iran. And and Saudi Arabia probably is the same. The other challenge of Saudi Arabia is I just don't think they're at the same level talent-wise as any of those three teams in the U.S.'s group. So even if there are some stylistic similarities, and I think there are some, right? There's some overlap with both of these teams, but... Not a lot. The, the other issue with the Saudi Arabia game in terms of a like-for-like comparison is that they're just a, a worse team, in my mind, than any of the other three teams the U.S. is going to play in the group stage. So some some things we can take away for sure. We've already gone through a lot of those things, but maybe not direct comparisons between these two games and the ones we'll see in November. 
All right. Well, I'm going to say we have previewed both of the opponents. Uh, any other thoughts on either opponent from either of you? Uh, I don't think so. Does anybody want to give a preferred lineup for either one of these games? I have the one I'd like to see against Japan. Graham, I don't know if you went through and made a lineup for the game on yeah. Friday or Taylor, if you did that. But I think that could be an interesting exercise to sort of close us off. Uh, that would be a wonderful exercise and something I definitely should have prepared for. Thank you, Joe, for reminding <laughs> us uh, of the importance of knowing that lineup or guessing at that lineup. What you got? Okay, so for the Japan game, and, and I guess we can start there. I have Turner in goal. He should be starting both of these games, in my opinion. That's been true for a long time. I'm going in the 4-3-3 shape. So I have Dest at right back. I have Zimmerman and Eric Palmer-Brown as my center backs. It's going to be Aaron Long. But hey, I mean, I, I'm curious to see EPB, even though that won't happen. I have Scally at, at left back. I have Adams, McKenney, and De La Torre as the, the six and two eights, with maybe McKenney or De La Torre dropping in at times to give Adams help and build up. And then I have Reyna on the right, Pulisic on the left, and Ferreira up top. I would not mind seeing Josh Sargent either. I have him starting the second game against Saudi Arabia, but I would love to see both Ferreira and Sargent in this window. So I've gone for Turner and goal. Agree there. I've gone Scali left back. I I'd actually, in terms of who starts alongside Zimmerman, I, I don't really have much of a of a preference. I've gone for Long because he seems like the most likely to get that start. Then I've got Dest, and in my midfield three is Adams, McKinney, Aronson. Um, you'll see in my second game I've gone for a little bit more rotation and then my um, attacking three is Pulisic, Ferreira and then my third my third attacker is a bit of a wild card. I've gone for Malik Tillman um, because I, I, I don't think he's in contention for a starting spot at the World Cup. I'm not naive, I'm not deluded. But, and maybe this is my Scottish bias sh- shining through here, but I just think if you're using this camp to find out more about him, let's find out more about him. Let's put him in a, in, a, in a strong team against a good opponent and let's try and come to a conclusion because we're not getting any conclusions in the defence before this World Cup. So let's try and find out some answers about Malik Tillman. Uh, forgive me. So we've got Malik Tillman and, and Gio Reyna as one big difference. What would be the other differences in your lineups? I uh, think uh, Joe had Del Torre and his yeah, midfield. instead maybe? of Aronson. And that was it. Okay. And okay. then I guess center back next to Zimmerman, but I think I'm with Graham in that I don't really know what to do, and it's probably going to be Aaron Long. But is there one that you would like to see for yeah. any number of reasons? I had Eric Palmer Brown in there. I think he, right. I've liked his game better than Mark McKenzie when I've watched it, and I think he's a little more versatile than Aaron Long, but I'm, I'm not sure he's as good of a defender. So there is a trade off there, certainly. Are we still going with the idea that like whoever is starting next to uh, Zimmerman need, needs the speed, Joe? Or are you sticking with your? I think it was your defense that Zim like has plenty of speed himself. Yeah, I only half agreed with what I said in that okay. in that roster debate show. They need to have some speed, at least according okay. to Greg Berhalter. So Long has more of that in my mind than Eric Palmer Brown does. So again, I think between that and his history with Berhalter, we're gonna see Aaron Long there. All right. Well, we will be back Friday uh, to review that game. We will be back before Friday to do some booster questions, uh, to talk the big thing of the week, and to do some Soccer 101. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you for taking the time to preview uh, this camp and these games. Yeah, right back at you, Taylor. Graham Ruthman, same to you, and also apologies uh, for uh, <laughs> comparing differences in speech. Uh, not even teasing, because I don't like to tease about those things. But uh, thank you for being here, Graham. Thank you, Taylor Rotwell, and save me a piece of uh, Johnny Cardoso's birthday cake, please. <laughs> uh, I hope I hope U.S. Soccer is listening, and I hope they do just that. Listeners, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you all again very soon. <laughs>